This is a HeadGum Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to GCF Second Service. Oops, did you sleep in? Miss your alarm? (laughs) Don't worry, we got you. I'm Kevin. I'm Caroline. And we're here to have good second service. Second service. (laughs) Is that a good tagline? Yeah. So, folks, this is the way this is going to work. Now, we're always going to have the Wednesday show. Every Wednesday, it's going to be there for you. Youth group night. Youth group night. That's, that is low-key why we, we are a Wednesdays. youth group. Yeah, and we are a youth group as this podcast. Uh-huh. But there's going to be certain things, formats, conversations that we want to have and do that don't necessarily fit into that format. Yeah, or people we want to talk to that may not necessarily be uh, here to talk all about pop culture who we just want to have a longer conversation with because they're fascinating or they're experts in something. Such was the case with our guest on today's episode, Rachel Held Evans, uh, who resides in Tennessee. So this is our first GCF Skype call. Woo, going digital, <laughs> baby. Wake up. Rachel's a great author that uh, Caroline and I have really enjoyed. Her and her writing and all of her work the past yes. couple of years. So we wanted to take the opportunity to talk to her about Proverbs 31 and beyond. Uh, just basically, you know, blah, 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 being a chick in the church and all that stuff. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Uh, Rachel is someone who I personally just admire, and she was just as warm and funny and fascinating as I imagined, and we've had this in the works for a long time, and we're really excited to do it. So, yeah, we're glad to we finally got a chance to talk to her. Yeah, so we're going to do this every now and again, these special little bonus episodes. Um, second service will probably come out on Fridays, so look out for that. I think we got one more coming next week. That's right. I believe. So. Another uh, fellow wonderful lady in the church world. Sure. Which, by the way, if you're not, quote unquote, in the church world, then... <laughs> get out. Then get out. <laughs> no. We stir the tea slowly. No, no I, I still think this is a fun conversation. And Rachel is someone who I think is particularly doesn't care if you're in the church world or not. It's just like a fun person to talk to. Totally. And yeah, and again, Kevin and I are not experts, not pastors. Don't know what the frick we're doing. Thank you. Um, But that's why it's great to get to talk to people like this and get to hear a little bit more of their perspective on all things faith and culture and et cetera. Et cetera. So here it is, our conversation with Rachel held and now, yeah, we're about to do that. <laughs> well, Caroline. Yes. I think it's time we finally get to our guest. Yes. Shall we? Oh boy, this is a real big one a big for get. us. She is a best-selling author whose books include Faith Unraveled, A Year of Biblical Womanhood. Searching for Sunday, and her new book, Inspired, comes out in June. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Rachel Held Evans! Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. I think we blew her out of the water. She's gone. Yeah, I'm overwhelmed. No, I'm just... (laughs) 
<laughs> there she is. I remember every word of this song. Oh yeah, my sister, yeah. My sister and I did like a, an interpretive dance to it for my family. Yeah, you oh did. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. So you were an Amy Grant household growing up for sure. Oh, big time. Every word of the Christmas album memorized. <laughs> every word of the of that one, whatever that one was. Do you still memorized. play that Christmas album come Christmas time? You know, every now and then, I I'm, I like a little Breath of Heaven now and oh, then. Yeah. And, okay, so uh, we're talking about the the '90s one where she's all in red, not the one where she looks yeah. like a frustrated mom. Like you oh. guys, I can't go skiing <laughs> like right on the, now on the slopes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Isn't that tender Tennessee Christmas? I think that's Tennessee Christmas. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Well, Rachel, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us on the show. This is this is a very uh, special episode when we wanted to talk to someone who's traded and and written so much about what it means to like reconcile being a woman and a Christian what? at the same time. Yeah. What is that all about? Yeah. So for those that may not know you, what is your guestimony? How, how did you come to the place that you are now with your faith? Yeah, yeah. Well, I would like to say that I think I might be a contender for the biggest Bible nerd you've ever had on the program. <laughs> okay. Oh, absolutely. Seriously. <laughs> like, Probably by in far. high school, in high school, I, I was on the homecoming court representing the Bible club. So that's... <laughs> Wait, did they send emissaries from like every club? (laughs) Well, I was president of the Bible club, so that was kind of like my my shoe in. Right? Yeah, no, everybody was on homecoming. It's a real powerful position. You were literally a creative bully's insult personified. What are you, president of the Bible club over here? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and I was like, yes, (laughs) Christ is my savior. Yeah, yeah. No, I was super super intense in high school. I was like the girl you really didn't want to sit next to in class because I'd find a way. Find a way to work it back to, like, if you were to die tonight. Yes. You know, it would happen to you when you died. I was, like, really... (laughs) The ultimate gotcha. Yeah. I had a duct tape on my backpack uh, on which I wrote, God is awesome. And (laughs) (laughs) You made a... It was a homemade bumper sticker. Yeah. It was basically a bumper sticker. But it's, like, the kind of badass, you know, because, like, duct tape (laughs) is not the average woman's thing. Right, yeah. embroidery, I, thought, I think, would have been more standard. Right. So I'm glad you had a rebellious. I thought edge. it was badass. Yeah. So yeah, so I grew up in the very much in the evangelical Christian culture of the '90s, and was real into the apologetics movement. I was like, true love waits, poster child. Uh, a true story. I was quoted in Christianity Today at age 16. No. Because, yes, because, do not look this up. Oh, because we, <laughs> we, we, had, we were part of, my school was doing an abstinence only education program, Ooh. which was experimental at the time. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> I was like on the front row every, you know, every day, like totally into it. So yeah. I'm quoted in Christianity Today as, Saying like, thanks to this program, I can hold my head up high and say, yeah, I'm a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Which would, was, that would be the first of many bold quotes from Rachel like, Held Evans in Christianity 15, Today. So I'm sure it's like the standard is so low. Like Everyone was like, yeah, I'm, I guess probably there's a good chance of that. Because yeah, if you my name and Christianity Today, it's all like, well, here's a heretic for you. You're so right. things have changed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But, uh, I'm surprised you didn't put that as the pull quote on any of your books. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm a virgin. <laughs> I can hold so, my um, <laughs> So I was a virgin in high school. And um, <laughs> so that, that was kind of my background. And, Were you and at a Christian was, high school, though? No, it was a public high school. Oh, teaching the abstinence education? Yeah, they still do. But I oh, live kind okay. of in a... I live in a unique part of the world. This I live is in Dayton. Dayton, Tennessee. Yes. Yeah. Dayton, Tennessee. Yeah. Home of the famous Scopes Monkey Trial of 1925. Oh, like the right. yeah. big evolution versus Christian or yeah, evolution versus creation uh, uh, court drama. Yeah. Very the- sad. Our boys didn't win that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they did. They won. Oh, they did win. Well, well I don't know anything about history. <laughs> <laughs> I just assumed. Sorry, Kevin's well, just a product of the liberal media, so he's, he's got a twisted perspective. The religious people won, um, <laughs> but they kind of lost the argument, you could say. Anyway, mm. so that was my that was my background, and and it's a so it's, I live in a very conservative part of the country. Grew up in a very conservative but pretty grace filled home, which was fortunate because you know the culture around me was pretty intense, mm. and uh, I, I lapped it right up. Um, but my home was always kind of this sanctuary of of grace and, you know, warmth and, you know, other people's viewpoints were considered and, and, uh, treated with respect. So I, I, I had kind of the best of both worlds, the, the, <laughs> the fundy, the fundy church and the fundy culture, but then my home was pretty supportive and grace filled. So that was cool. Um, and then, you know, I went to a conservative Christian college after graduating from high school and it was there that my faith started to actually fall apart a little bit just because I kind of thought that I would go and all the questions that I had lingering from my high school days, I thought would just kind of get resolved. You know, all these questions I still had about my faith, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to graduate past Josh McDowell and start reading some real apologetic. (laughs) (laughs) Can you explain maybe one of the questions that that you had to answer in college? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest one for me was probably, um, questions of religious pluralism. Like, I, you know, it was a big deal to me that I had been taught that the most of the people to have lived on the planet for most of history were going to burn in hell for eternity because they weren't evangelical Christians. Right. Uh, that really troubled me at a emotional, you know, intuitive level. And I just thought, well, somebody's going to you know, answer that in a satisfactory way for me. And nobody did. None of my professors were able to. And did you ever get the answer? Because when I remember that question coming up in my like Christian education, they would say some, they would quote that verse that was like, uh, what do they call it? Like universal grace or something. Like everyone knows uh, God because everyone has um, observed creation and so has an understanding of what God is. And so yeah. th- that was supposed to be a comfort of like, oh, well, the indigenous person, even if they didn't ever hear from a missionary, like they saw the sun and they were like, God is real. Um, and it was still right. up to them to like decide if that was mm-hmm. God or not. But but Jesus- then they had to like somehow get from that to like Jesus Christ down on a yeah. cross for my sins, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which just didn't seem <laughs> like seem it was right. kind of like, well, they've been given enough information to damn them all to hell, but not enough to save them. <laughs> so that seemed like name. not, they didn't quite add up in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the first of many questions. And then it was, I mean, it was everything. I questioned young earth creationism, which I had always been taught and, uh, Which is the idea that the Earth is only three thousand years old for our listeners who may not um, be familiar. Six thousand. Oh, excuse oh, me. Six, six, six thousand. Wow. <laughs> Caroline believes in Gosh. a more radical version <laughs> yeah. of young Earth creationism. We very young, young Super creation. Young. <laughs> <Infant> Earth. <laughs> Baby creation. Kind of a young Sheldon's. Oh boy. Yep. It's like young Sheldon. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> younger version theory. of the Big Bang Theory. Yep. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, that's right. So yeah, so you started asking those questions in college, just kind of the, and I feel like that that's so many people's story where it is just the simple, but wait a minute, just, and it's not even like you're ninjaing theology and like, but if you considered the blah, blah, blah of the text, it's like, wait, so all those people are going to hell? Like that very simple question has the power to possibly dismantle a faith entirely. Yeah, it really, and it did for me. It completely blew the whole thing up. And, you know, but I was still being really great at being a Christian. I was still super Christian. And, you know, what is respect about my classmates is being kind of this Christian leader who had it figured out. So I kept it kind of under wraps for uh, a few years. How did that dissonance feel for you? Oh, it sucked. I mean, I just, you know, you, you just kind of go through the motions of church and of Christian life, um, pretending that you're on board, but you're not. And that just doesn't, it never feels right. It never feels like you can relax and be yourself and, mm-hmm. yeah. um, ask the questions. Cause there are, you know, there, there's pushback when you do start asking these questions, people are like, I mean, the first question I remember people asking were, oh, are you having sex with your boyfriend? <laughs> it's like, well, because they assumed that I was in some kind of sin. <laughs> and, and that's like, that would be the only reason you were like trying to chip away right. at your faith. And something. you handed them right. a copy of Christianity Today, which <laughs> very <laughs> clearly stated the story. Highlighted. Yeah, life. I'm a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> but yeah, but it, there was always this assumption that like, well, you must have had some sort of moral failure that would lead you to these questions. But it was so frustrating to be like, hey, all of the science seems to support you know, evolutionary theory, you know, you just look at the fossil record and it just really adds up. And they're like, are you having sex with your boyfriend? You <laughs> 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 feel like people aren't taking you wow. seriously. And, and, like, well, and that was, was really was, yeah, still. <laughs> So that's, that's what happened. And then, um, but then I, I started to kind of put the pieces back together. I think when you grow up in a, a pretty conservative tradition, you're taught that every single thing is fundamental to the faith, is super important. You know, if you change your mind about the age of the earth, your entire faith will fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it didn't. I managed to hold on to some pieces, and uh, n- namely Jesus, and, you know, kind of start to put things back together again. And that's been kind of the, you know, my experience um over the last decade has been trying to make sense of the faith that I have uh, and kind of embrace my doubts and accept that those are going to be around for uh, this, this faith experience for me and, and kind of just coming to terms with that. And then, you know, starting when I started blogging and writing about my experience, I just found all these other people who were in the same boat. And that was so such a relief because you feel so alone. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are super Christian, uh, you know, growing up in a uber conservative Christian town surrounded by Christian people and you're standing there and everybody's singing a hymn and you're like, I don't think I believe any of this. It can be really isolating and really scary and lonely. And so when I started writing about it and publishing about the experience, all these people came out of the woodwork like, yeah, me too. I have the same thoughts. I have the same doubts. I have the same questions. And that's kind of what started me on the, the, the writing path uh, I'd always wanted to be a writer, but that's what uh, inspired me to start writing about what I write about, which is you know, the um, the evolution of faith and and uh, faith and doubt and uh, reconciling the Christianity you were raised with with the Christianity that you uh, have now or have left. 
Sure. And I think one of the more lovely parts of your story, too, is that the kind of platform that you got for your writing and for these thoughts and for these ideas and for the things that people could resonate with and say me too, too, maybe wouldn't have been possible 20 or 30 years ago. Almost definitely wouldn't have been possible because oh, yeah. the, the flow for which information was disseminated was like, well, was it at Lifeway? Was it at Family <laughs> Christian Bookstores? Well, no. Well, then I never heard of it. And that's what's so beautiful about, I feel like, technology. As a, There's a lot of gross things about technology, but one beautiful thing about it is the democratization of that sort of voice that you could just like by the power of your own writing and your blog. And then that led to like books that were published in like, you know, those big gatekeeper stores like Barnes and Noble that, that, that could give rise to that. And that could resonate with people in a way that wasn't possible before. Yeah. But I have been banned from Lifeway. Is that true? Sure. Yeah, it's true. Dang. I am on a list of people who cannot be, my books are not allowed on the shelves. Oh Whoa. How did you find out dangerous. about that? Like, did they email you? Like, well, dear Rachel, we are saddened. <laughs> Or what a few happened? years ago, there was a big blow up about it because my publisher had originally told me like it was because or to watch out for using the word vagina in your book oh because they gosh. then it won't be carried in Lifeway. So I was like, well, that's stupid. And I wrote a whole post about it. And then it kind of blew up into this big thing that people called Vagina Gate. And it was weird. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. But from I'm the proudest sure virgin that's... to Vagina Gate. How, how far <laughs> you traveled. <laughs> it has been a ride. That's um, I don't know if that's actually what it was that got the book banned it might have also been like I support women in ministry which they're weird about at Lifeway um, mm. but yeah I've been banned so wow whatever authors authors don't need Lifeway anyway like it's ridiculous because a lot of the in Christian publishing a lot of the editorial standards are based around what will and won't be carried in Lifeway and so you know huh. authors have to take out stuff about drinking or stuff about you know just is sex or, you know, just and mild stuff too to try and, you know, yeah, to make sure standards. No I mean, not to mention any, yeah, not to mention anything like the considered theologically liberal or progressive. Uh, but the more we, j we all realize as authors that we don't actually need to be carried in Lifeway to sell books, the better because the content will improve. Anyway, that's a whole other. That's, I'm, a whole, that's a little so stuff. funny that like you and I, I probably Jen Hatmaker too, because I think used to be that you may have taken a hit maybe 10 or 20 years ago, but now it's like, okay, well, just get on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> I, I don't think yeah. I've seen a physical Lifeway store. So even if I wanted to buy your book at Lifeway at, in the last 10 years, probably I don't I think saw, I've seen one. I saw one with a little tumbleweed rolling through it in, in <laughs> a Dallas strip mall. Although I will say it would be a fun exercise for you or for another uh, Christian writer out there to submit a book that was just a recap of a book of the Bible to see if it would or would not get accepted. <laughs> yeah, <they> would take <laughs> but, it. Like, I, I just recap judges, but use slightly different language. We love it! <laughs> or if it'd be like, bro, no, you can't, you can't say because judges has some gnarly yeah. stuff in it or like so much of the Old Testament. Um, Song of Solomon, that would be fun. Woo-wee! Never let that one through. No. <laughs> Although there isn't the word vagina in Song of Solomon, so I think you should probably get away with that. Um, no, it's all like, it's all poetic, so it's, it's all right. like your grapevine. <laughs> um, I did want to say something about uh, your story that I've I've talked about on the show before, but that resonates with me so much is that um, what you said—that very lonely feeling of feeling like I'm not getting it, or everyone's really into this hymn and I don't feel that way. 
uh, what do I do? Because because in a lot of like sort of fundamental or conservative um, Christianity, there isn't room for like a real doubt or a real or being able to hold on to those doubts. You know, they'll say like, oh, doubt's welcome, but let me explain it away until you're back into the fold and kind of towing the line. And so, um, yeah, it's really nice that I think we felt that even with our show, too, of how many people have resonated or come out of the, their own woodwork. Well, Maybe they weren't in the woodwork or whatever, at least for us. We're bringing them into the woodwork. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but just to hear from so many people, too. And, and I feel like even Kevin and I feel so much uh, less lonely in the world, too, knowing there's so many people like us. So that's really Yeah, cool. that's the it really is goes back to the just the beauty of the, the technology and the decentralization of communication and how we can find people who are like minded and going through the same thing. It's it's such a gift. And um, I'm, I'm very grateful for the people who read and follow my work. And I've learned a ton from just being <laughs> in conversation with them. Yeah. And it, I feel like, at least for me, too, it's really nice to know uh, there is a space between, if you will, mm. uh, between like, uh, you know, being um, all in on certain thought or um, because it seemed the only other option beyond that was just like, OK, you're going out into the cold world. You're outside of the church. You're done with Christ if you let go of these things or if you question or whatever. Or you'll just get that kind of like Christian side eye of like, well, she's kind of Christian, you know, sure, <laughs> that kind sure. of thing. And so it's just, it's comforting too to uh, talk with people like you or with Kevin or with friends to be like, no, I'm still, I'm still figuring out Jesus. I'm still here. I'm still allowed to be here. And that's good. Yeah. And you're definitely not alone in that experience. I yeah. can guarantee it. Yeah. Because even, even the image of like, I left and went into the wilderness and then you get to the wilderness and there's a bunch of people there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it feels like that a lot of times with this stuff. Um, Now I want to ask you, because this is a show about Christian pop culture in particular, I want to ask you what your jams were growing up and like music wise, TV and movie wise, although I feel like music has a particularly nostalgic power. Were you super into like Christian rock and pop growing up? How did all that function for you? Oh, yeah, big time. My first CD I remember was that orange audio adrenaline CD. (laughs) Which one was the orange one? Shoot, um, the one with Big House and all that. Big I don't know what our if, what our age difference might be. I might have been a little bit ahead of y'all, but that was my first CD, and that and Mariah Carey was kind of a weird combo. <laughs> oh, Mariah <laughs> got to sw- got to swing in there. <laughs> yeah, so I was right. You know, I was really like I would listen to DC Talk in the morning to like pump myself up to witness to people. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what was what's the best jam for getting witness ready? What if I stumble? <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely, you'd think it was Jesus Freak, but it's not. I thought it was, um, you know, do you remember the, I want to be in the light. As As you you are are in the light. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was my, that was my psych up for witnessing to people. Witnessing to like, again, I was in Dayton, Tennessee, which is a super conservative Christian town. So like, I was basically witnessing to Methodists, but that was, (laughs) (laughs) was lost Methodist. So that was, that was my, my jam. And then I was really into, when Jennifer Knapp came along, it was like everything, you know, she was my hero. And I still really love and admire her. So that's cool. Um, I remember in youth group, we were singing worship songs and the guy next to me, who was super cute, turned to me and he said, Rachel, your voice sounds like Jennifer Knapp. <gasps> and I was uh... like, the rapture can happen. I have... 
<laughs> Send me to I, heaven. I'm ready. You oh, turned to him and said, bring me into you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know you now. Oh, I mean, the thing is. I will say, and not to spoil too much an episode we may do in the future, but... With Jennifer Knapp, I'll still put on one of those albums and be like, because on this show, it's always like, oh, you know, for the time, it was pretty good, or for what they were going for, or, you know, for worship music. But Jennifer Knapp, I listen to him like, this this is good music. She was legit. <laughs> like, it, it, she, and still is. Like, she is up. an artist. Yeah. For sure. And it's it's been especially interesting to see, because that's one of the only figures I can think of in the CCM scene that maybe went through a similar trajectory to kind of what maybe we have collected in a very yeah. different way because it kind has like to do with their sexuality. Public breaking with. Yeah. A little bit. That's mainstream. just like, this isn't what it, the fundamentalist version the evangelical version of it is not what it means to me anymore, but I am an out woman and I choose to identify as this and to have her like work that out. It was almost encouraging to see, or not almost, it was encouraging to see <laughs> that workout in her. Yeah. She's, and she's handled it all and all the pushback that you get with, such grace and just like warmth and a generosity to other people. So she's like the real deal. It's nice to see somebody you admired as an artist, as a teenager, turn out to be a decent person. Yeah. Like that's always, that's always nice to see. <laughs> for sure. And with Jennifer Knapp, I'm curious because it feels like for myself, for Caroline and for a lot of our listeners, what we consumed, and I think this is true whether you're a Christian or not, but what you consume in pop culture has so much to do with what you end up believing in your general just like philosophy and theology of the world, even if you think it's just light entertainment or just a song or an mm. album. So I'm curious, do you feel like the pop culture of the Christian world influenced the way you thought about womanhood or what it meant to be a girl within the church or a woman in the church? Yeah, I mean, I think probably so to a degree, you know, but then there were people like Jennifer Knapp who, like, it's actually in in art and music and uh, entertainment that sometimes women would be breaking out of this, the mold to a degree, you know? So it's like you had on the one hand the church kind of telling you what it means to be a good, quote-unquote, biblical woman or a woman of God. Uh, but then you also had women who, I mean, were still— uh, of that tradition and in that trajectory, but but also you know having their own sense of style and their own perspective and uh, preaching to a degree and mm-hmm. uh, teaching. So it you know I think there's always there was always that tension of uh, the church is telling me one thing, but I feel in my gut and I resonate with because my other big musical hero at the time was Alanis Morissette, which is like, <laughs> oh, yeah. yes, Jennifer Knapp and Alanis Morissette. So I had like a bit of an edge, you know, <laughs> it, beneath the whole, yeah, I'm a virgin thing. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, duct tape, I we got it. <laughs> anger and I mm. of Alanis, and I know I was resonating with her feminism before I would ever have even considered calling myself a feminist. So, you know, I think it's in the pop culture that sometimes you get your first little taste of the person you're going to become. Because I was definitely more, I'm definitely more an Alanis chick than I am like a point of grace chick. You know, (laughs) you don't keep the candle burning, Rachel. (laughs) I find that hard to believe. (laughs) Point of grace chick. Circle of friends. Oh boy! Yeah, I feel. Oh, that's that is just now reminding me of you saying that. That um, growing up, I I really loved Rufus Wainwright, and then I found mm. out one day he is gay, and <gasps> it like it 
I'm pretty sure I was like legit kind of depressed for a couple of days about it. Really? Because yeah, not only am I like worried for his soul, but now I'm like have this <laughs> moral problem of like, can I even listen to this? But I think that's the beauty of art are things like we're drawn to it um, outside of what our uh, like mind can tell us what to do. And so I'm, and now of course I'm like, love him. Great support all the way and saw him. Live yeah. It's like great. you. Yeah. I remember that resonating with, you know, listening to the Christian music and consuming that probably the most, but like really loving and resonating at a level that I wasn't quite able to, to understand uh, some of the other, you know, the, the, the mainstream yeah. stuff, but, but especially Alanis. I mean, I really, I have, I'm such an obsessed fan with her. <laughs> like, I, have, I mean, even like, Former supposed former infatuation junkie. Her album after Jagged Little Pill, which oh, did yeah. not get the same. I had every single word of that album memorized. Same. I broke oh my gosh, that's really? so. What I, <laughs> you are the first person I've ever talked to. In a way, you don't know him anything. Like, I just, do you every, go to the dungeon? <laughs> like David Bowie. (laughs) It was a Bowie cover. Well, no, because that was, uh, for some dumb reason, that was my first CD. That was my first non-Christian CD that I ever bought. Was supposed to be. No wonder you are a wonderful human being. If that was like the... (laughs) that shaped you <laughs> well i mean that was really and that oh. this happens sometimes with people's sophomore <laughs> follow-ups is like yeah you love me you love jagged little pill okay easy cheesy everyone did but do you really love me because it was a lot more like diverse and challenging musically to get into there are 17 songs on that album 17 oh, yeah. Whoa. Thank, oh my gosh so good thank you india thank you alanis morissette <laughs> Uh, what what is your i'm curious as to what your kind of relationship is with christian pop culture now because obviously you still you know you are still a christian and a person of faith but i think like a lot of us that came out of this background you probably don't see it as a necessary part of your diet to turn on the fish or whatever the the radio yeah, station i have be. no idea what's going on in christian pop culture now i just am completely clueless about it and that i feel every now and then if i you know am driving in a new city and npr isn't set on my radio properly like i'll hear a christian music station and it's very different than it's a lot of worship music it's like mostly worship music uh-huh. it, it doesn't strike me as the same as kind of what we were listening to growing up so yeah i'm completely checked out although i find these like a uh, christian artists i suppose you, you could say or artists who are christians online who are, you know who we have become friends like audrey assad and prop and like these, oh, nice. these yeah like random sort of random people who i would not have maybe otherwise encountered uh-huh. uh but we are connecting over some shared questions or ideas and uh, so that's been kind of cool and and so i'm i'm starting to kind of i don't know, get maybe a little bit back into the conversation sure. but i do not have the cred that i once did i'm afraid <laughs> you're not seeing all the gods not dead sequels oh gosh no oh, yeah no that, i mean no, I have not had the opportunity to see this. <laughs> I guess the, the, you you did identify two of the biggest trends, though, is that the movies make more money because they know how to make them smarter with, like, God's Not Dead and stuff. Right. And all the music is basically just worship or so much of, like, what does well in the mainstream is worship. Yeah. Although I will say, I mean, referencing some of the people you know, that more than any other genre, like, Christian music 
is improving, you know, we're like, sure. there is a mm-hmm. lot of really good stuff out there. And I, I don't even do my due diligence of like getting into that as much as I should, but there are like really good artists that are probably, uh, musicians before they are Christians or Christians, musicians, whatever, but that are doing beautiful stuff that isn't necessarily just a worship song or just like a hammy um, Christian song. Yeah. For for instance, I saw these four lads from Ireland play on TV the other day, <laughs> and I was like, I think these these gentlemen are Christian. There's one with a megaphone. Are and they, though? One had an edgy guitar sound of some sort. It was it was cool. It was cool. I think you're just confusing them with every other worship band you've heard. So I'm, uh, that is true. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we've talked about that. It's gone from like you two to now we're kind of in a Coldplay phase. Kind of a Mumford. Uh, yeah, Coldplay phase. Mumford for sure. Yeah. For sure. So Rachel, we want to talk about Proverbs 31 because it's the reason for the season here oh, on yes. GCF. <laughs> we were we were trying to kind of pick themes for some of the months this year just to focus some of the stuff we'd covered. And I threw out Proverbs 31, perhaps foolishly, but it's been fun to go <laughs> through. Um, and uh, you literally wrote a book on biblical womanhood, as we mentioned at the top. And uh, you told us that Proverbs 31 is one of your favorite topics. Uh, so I guess we want to ask, um, kind of what that has meant to you as a concept in the past and kind of how you've, um, how you think about it now. Yeah. I want to know why you chose Proverbs 31 for the month though. Like what's your, I want to know your story with that passage because my guess is it's probably like other people can relate to it. Fraught. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think it'd be good for, for those that didn't grow up in the church or have no background with this to kind of contextualize what Proverbs 31 has meant. Sure. Well, at least for me, I went to Christian school from like fifth grade all the way up to graduating high school. And so um, I've been sort of, that's like where most of my Christian cred would come from or my interaction with this. And um, although I don't remember like studying it super specifically all the time our bible study groups were or bible study classes were broken up by men and women boys and girls i guess and so (laughs) in girls bible study it was a constant like a lot of studying about uh what a girl should be a lot of talking about dating a lot of talking about modesty and then just general like bible studying kind of things um and so for me proverbs 31 for a long time was just sort of this like person thrown out there the Proverbs 31 woman of, uh, we all know, like, she's the example we're trying to shoot for. And, you know, like, making little jokes about, like, but no one wants to get up that early. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that kind of thing. Sort of acknowledging, like, she uh, is a difficult standard to follow, but something that that we want to be. And that also is, like, sort of the embodiment of the Christian woman that they were trying to put in our heads, who's, like, extremely modest, who's married, (laughs) who's busy, and who knows the Bible in and out. She's and busy. I love that. Yeah, busy, I feel like, is important. Oh, she's so busy. She's always doing something, and she's well, and, and that's what's so funny about it, too, is because, like, you know, you're, like, high school students, you know, in modern-day America, and, like, a lot of what she does is, like, she's at her loom right. weaving. She's ex- exchanging fine linens with the merchants, and, the, you know, it's it's all this ancient Near Eastern. Right, yeah, and know, sort of trying to, like, about. do what we can to twist that into a modern-day thing of, like, uh, do the laundry and then you know do your school work like that's your sure. work at the loom and which, stuff like that which is so um close i feel like to what a lot of people do when it comes to like 
dating and modern romance mm-hmm. and trying to apply biblical marriage standards to it, which <laughs> like, always feels weird. Like, what? No, I'm not going to court you. What? Yeah. Why do I have to do that? That kind of stuff. Yeah. So that so that yeah. was sort of my experience. I, I wouldn't say I had a lot of like animosity, but when I look back on it, I'm kind of like, I don't think that was what it was supposed to be. Or I, it was just more of like this person that I don't really identify with. Yeah. Yeah. That's very similar to my background too. Like, you know, kind of the P31 woman was yeah. like the ideal, you know, who we wanted to be. And, and it was who and men so wanted. I don't know if that was important in your culture, but it was who men wanted. Like I'm looking men for a wanted P31 a pro- and So lady. it was part of the, all of that too, was like being something that a man would want. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yes. That was a huge part of it. Yeah. And it's so funny because when I'm sometimes when I'm presenting on this, like when I'm giving a lecture on this passage, like I'll mention Proverbs 31 and there will be an audible groan. Because <laughs> 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 women have so much baggage yeah, around so this passage. This point, you know? yeah. yeah. It was always held up to them as this expectation. Yeah. So what changed for me was I wrote this book called The Year of Biblical Womanhood, where I, I was challenging the idea. I was, you know, grew up in a culture where we always told we had to practice quote-unquote biblical womanhood Mm -hmm. and so I use that as kind of a launching point to talk about and deconstruct any sense of biblicism and and why that's a problem like biblical manhood biblical womanhood biblical marriage you know why that involves a high amount of selectivity and how we tend to take you know those ancient cultural um, assumptions and try and bend them to fit our modern culture and why that's a problem and it doesn't work so it's kind of a it's you know it's a a humorous book because I attempted quite a few of the biblical instructions for women myself. So I like had to camp out in a tent during my period. And like, it was just weird. (laughs) I followed all the Levitical purity codes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I won't get into the Levitical purity codes, but I know way more about those than I ever wanted to. We're going to be um, talking about that next week, though. Yeah. So come back. That's our theme for Hopefully all enough. of March. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. <we're not. laughs> that would be awesome because there's some strange, strange stuff in there. That would be really, really fun. Oh, you are um, a Bible nerd. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Don't even get me started on the New Testament household codes. But anyway, so... I so as part of this project where I was practicing some of these you know sort of obscure instructions and also you know examining women from scripture and trying to talk about how we interpret the Bible and whatnot one of the people I would go to a lot was an Orthodox Jewish woman who because she actually practices a lot of those Levitical purity codes and uh, was um, you know somebody who was deeply familiar with all you know Hebrew scripture and how uh, Jewish folks apply it. And so I got to talking with her about Proverbs 31, because one month I focused exclusively on Proverbs 31. And it was so interesting to learn from her how Jewish women and, and the Jewish community approaches this passage, because it is completely different mm-hmm. than how Christian women approach it. Because I was like, hey, is this like a source of an inferiority complex among Jewish women the way that it is for so many Christian women. And her name's Ahava, and she was like, she was kind of surprised by the question. Um, and she said, uh, no, no. She was like, in my culture, you know, Proverbs 31 is not the standard that women try to uh, achieve. It's actually, it's a scene as a song of celebration that men uh, memorized to sing as a song of praise and encouragement to the women in their lives, mm-hmm. like their wives or their uh, sisters or their daughters. And she said, oh, my husband sings Proverbs 31 to me at every Sabbath meal. And it's just kind of an unconditional celebration of what women have uh, 
accomplished. It's not like in her culture and Jewish culture, it's the men who memorize Proverbs 31, not the women. Like that's there. It's a, because really when you look at it, the only instructive language in Proverbs 31, the only direction is directed towards men. And it says, praise her for all her hands have done. So it's about, um, it's, this is kind of like, it's meant to be, this is how you praise a good woman, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's not meant to be like this standard that women struggle to achieve. And so I looked into it even more and started studying some of the Hebrew uh, around it. And the first line of it's an, uh, Proverbs 31 is an acrostic poem uh, that's found at the end of the book of Proverbs. And it's extolling the virtues of like an ancient Near Eastern, very upper class uh, Middle Eastern wife, probably even a queen. And so, um, you know, she's wealthy. She's, um, you know, she's respected in her community. And, and, and she's also, you know, nothing like women <laughs> today and lives a life that's nothing and it's meant to be it's a poem so it's hyperbolic it's intentionally exaggerated like <laughs> this is not never meant to be like like to, the average person assume that this is like an average woman it's so not it's a journal a, <laughs> no, it's really not. Uh, but the first line of the poem is is usually translated a virtuous woman who can find or something like that or a, a, a godly wife who can find but the hebrew that's used there is eshet heil and it means woman of valor which I like a lot. And in the Jewish community, that expression, Eshet Heil, woman of valor, is kind of used almost like the the Jewish you go girl. <laughs> so like, you know, if you, you know, ace a test or something that you are worried about, you're, you walk in and your roommate would say, oh, you passed, you know, woman of valor. Or uh-huh. if you, you know, throw a party for your kids and it goes well and you're exhausted at the end, your friend might pour a glass of wine and say, hey, Eshet Heil, woman of valor, you mm. did it. Or, you know, like if a friend has uh, undergone her last chemo treatment, you know, that's a time you would hold her hands in yours and say, Eshet Heil, you are a woman of valor, you did it. You know, it's, it's, it's meant to be kind of like a, a positive reinforcement that women and men uh, give to, to, to women who have um, just been faithful you know, in the little things and who have shown valor and bravery in the little things, um, which I just like so much better. And so I started writing about this and sharing it. Of course, my Jewish friends are like, yeah, that's what we've been doing for like 2000 years. <laughs> They're like, we know. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. So much of my like religious experience has been like, oh my gosh, did you know this is what this passage means? And all my Jewish friends are like, yeah, yeah, we knew that. Like that's <laughs> We've known that for a while. But um, (laughs) so I started kind of sharing this with my friends and everything. And I knew I had kind of gotten the word out about like this woman of valor way of looking at the passage when I got an email from a woman who said she was playing Mario Kart with her five-year-old and she got a special power and her five-year-old turned to her and said, woman of valor. (laughs) No way. That's so cute. So So that's actually how this passage was always meant to be used as sort of a way of celebrating women, not a standard that you know we strive to achieve. And so it's kind of gone from being my least favorite (laughs) passage Mm -hmm. to one of my favorites. And one little, one other nugget that I have to get in there is, um, you know, in the book of Ruth, uh, we have this character Ruth who is by every you know, standard falls short of the, the Proverbs 31 woman. You know, she, she was widowed. 
You know, she didn't have a husband who was praising her. She didn't have children uh, rising up to call her blessed. She uh, she wasn't exchanging fine linens with the merchants. She was gleaning leftovers from the fields. She was so poor. Uh, and yet this woman in scripture, before she gets married, before she recovers from her poverty, uh, Boaz says of her, you are, uh, all the people of our town know that you are a woman of noble character. But the Hebrew that's used there is Eshet Heil. It's woman of valor. And so even though circumstantially, you know, Ruth's life looked nothing like the Proverbs 31 woman's life, uh, she's still celebrated as being a woman of valor. So I've always found that to be cool. Yeah, yeah, that, that she, that it's not about sort of what you do. It's about how you do it and uh, being brave and valorous in the face of challenges and in the daily tasks of life. And so, yeah, it's kind of gone from being a passage that I really hated to a passage that (laughs) I kind of love. Yeah, that feels like a relief even to me and just wonderful to Mm -hmm. imagine using that passage and using that chapter as opposed to a yardstick or a resume we should be trying to build as um, instead someone turning and looking at a woman or a man, you know, for that matter, just being like, thank you. Wow. Look at all the little (laughs) stuff you did. You know, the little things that went under the radar or that you just did early in the morning when no one was watching and stuff like that. And just taking a moment to like, say you go girl feels like so much. uh, Yeah. So great. That's exactly what it was meant to be used as. And it's fun. People will send me pictures. They've gotten like tattoos of Eshet Heil and Hebrew. Yeah. It's it's kind of cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how Ahava would feel about that as an Orthodox Jew. I haven't mentioned it to her. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, oh, I got that one on my butt. So, yeah. But it's it's just, it's kind of cool. And and, uh, yeah, there's so much in, in scripture that, you know, gets used to put women down. But there's also, there's all these little nuggets (laughs) if you pay attention, of really empowered and interesting women like Ruth and Deborah and JL and, you know, that if you spend some time with them, you see that it's not, you know, the Bible's not quite as um, oppressively patriarchal as a lot of people assume. Yeah. Um, Can I have you go on a tangent and talk about Deborah a little bit and why you like her? Deb. (laughs) Deb. Deb. (laughs) Like from Dexter. Uh, Yeah, Deb. Deb, uh, Yeah, I mean, she's she's one of the, she was basically the commander in chief of Israel. She was in charge back in those days in in scripture in the book of Judges, which is like, you're right, would be totally banned from Lifeway. And if you're looking to get a faith (laughs) crisis, like if you're looking to get a faith crisis, just open up to the book of Judges because it's like, you know. Joshua in the Battle of Jericho, and the walls came a tumbling down, and then they killed every man, woman, and child. Oh in the yeah, city. like and it's also genocide. a genocide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's, it's like it's horrible, violent, intense, awful things. Yeah, it's an intense and violent uh, <laughs> book. But you have this interesting character of Deborah, who is uh, was chosen by God to be a judge, which meant she had complete religious and civic authority over. Uh, Israel, and she led an army into battle and won. And a fun little story there is she was assisted by JL, a woman who uh, snuck into the tent of the opposing commander and drove a tent peg through his skull. Oh, yes. 
yeah, gentle and quiet spirit right there, man. (laughs) I remember reading that randomly, like as a kid, you know, like trying to be a good kid, just reading through the Bible. And I think I happened upon that story. And I was like, what? Mom? Why did no one tell me? (laughs) This is crazy. So much of the Bible is legit, just deleted scenes from 300. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Well, and I love that too, especially with like this reading of Proverbs 31, because it it feels like it, this is going to be so consistent with so many things that we examine on this show, which is you can take it at face value. And sometimes there's like merit and value in the face value. But if you press a little deeper, if you see, oh, what was another expression of womanhood? Was the a similar language used? That like you're saying, Rachel, a lot of times the Bible doesn't need to be used as a weapon or an impossible measuring stick or standard, but it can be something that's a little more liberating, especially the yeah. idea of like, Okay, yeah, your your expression of womanhood and being a woman of valor is equally as valid as another person's, even if if it doesn't look the same. Yeah. Even if it's starting a business, which I guess that is kind of a thing that they talk about in the passage, but it can be as much, you know, making bed coverings that are purple as it is getting a <laughs> purple shell in Mario Kart as Yoshi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, another example too is like the in Genesis one or Genesis um, two, Eve is described as uh, being created after Adam as his helper. And people have been u- using that like to subjugate women for literally like centuries. Like, yeah. well, she's, of subordinate yeah. but like if you spend like 10 minutes looking into like what is the word that's used there oh it's the word azer and the word azer is used elsewhere in hebrew scripture to describe god coming to the assistance of israel so it's not a subordinate helper it's like a you clearly can't handle this on your own kind of <laughs> it's like a hail mary <laughs> right. but people have these very sort of surfacey readings um and I think there's there's sometimes some fear around going any deeper. But, um, yeah, it's, it's – I mean, I still get hung up on certain passages of Scripture. I mean, no doubt. There's, I still get hung up on the patriarchal assumptions that, you know, are – embedded throughout it because it was written in a in various patriarchal cultures and you know it's still there's references to slavery without straight up condemning that and you know there's there's i still i never approach the bible um i mean i never leave an encounter with the bible completely settled or at peace it's i usually find something to get worked up and stressed about so it's (laughs) it's it's but it just still for me remains kind of the gift that keeps on it just keeps giving and that is there's just always something new to wrestle with and to learn from and to engage and I, again i think the jewish community has preserved that sense of like the bible's meant to be wrestled with a mm. lot better than the christian community particularly in the west has yeah you know christian community is very much like we go to the Bible to find answers to all of life's questions. And, you know, it's super clear. We just go with the clear meaning and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's meant to all resolve. Whereas Jewish community is kind of like, yeah, this doesn't resolve and that's okay. Like that, yeah, these, these passages or these stories seem to be in conflict and, and they kind of just go there. They dive right in. They write midrash and stories around the tensions and mm-hmm. the problems. I mean, you know, the story of Abraham and Isaac always troubled me. Like, what kind of father sure. is that? Yeah, it's and why up. would God reward Abraham for, you know, 
attempting to kill his own son. Well, probably you know, enormous PTSD. Christians are always like, oh, it's fine. It just showed that he had a lot of faith. And, you know, <laughs> I would do the same thing. And it's like, really? Because that's not something I'd be bragging about. But, um, <laughs> but you know, in Jewish tradition, there's just, there's mountains of midrash and stories and debate around that passage precisely because it bothered them too. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's been troubling from the beginning. And I find so much comfort in that, just knowing that, like, you know, this doesn't, resolve neatly and I'm not the first person to notice that it doesn't resolve neatly (laughs) and some people have managed to maintain faith and community um, not just in spite of that but because of that because Mm. that gives us something to talk about together and wrestle with as a community and to go back and forth on and to learn from so yeah so I'm still a huge bible nerd I guess I just don't really put it on like duct tape on my back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's well less said. of a manual. I um took a some kind of Jewish studies election or something in college, and that was my first time uh, experiencing or encountering how uh, people of the Jewish faith like talked about the Bible. And I had the same thing; it just rocked my world because we met at like the Hillel on campus. Um, mm. There was a, I think he was a rabbi who led the class, and it was like it was a group. It wasn't all Jewish kids or Christian. It was just you know a group of random students. And I remember him, we led with some passage from the Old Testament, it's failing me at what we did. But yeah, it was just all about uh, what are the questions? What are we What are we talking about? And then we just talk about the question and then never end up on like, and here's the <laughs> rule from that to follow. There we go. Yeah. Or, or it wasn't... Um, it wasn't like, okay, how do we make this uh, fit our modern life and that we can follow it? It was more of like, how does our modern life inform how we're reading this? And, yeah. And that, like... I remember that really rocking me too. And and I think I was still so sure at that point where I was like, well, they're not getting it. <laughs> so it didn't help me as much as it should have. Another question, I, it's, it's sort of broad, but I feel like you'll have an answer to it. Obviously, you're still doing a lot of speaking. You're going to a lot of churches, a lot of like religious events, I guess. And I'm sure you're still encountering just a lot of uh, expectations on what it is to be a biblical woman, what it is to be a Christian woman. And I just kind of wanted to let you talk a little bit about uh, how you feel being a Christian woman. Like, what does that mean? What does it mean to uh, oh, right. be a woman in this yeah. sphere, if you had to define it? I mean, I think... I kind of had it all figured out, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) kind of understood like where I stand and how to be more assertive and how to, um, I think as women, sometimes we always have to push just a little past our comfort zones as far as how assertive and uh, ambitious and direct we are. That doesn't necessarily, I mean, I think we're, we're sort of conditioned to not, um, not to do that. And I I felt like I had kind of figured it all out. And then I had a kid. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah. All these old insecurities about what does it mean to be a woman who has a child and works and has a career. And like, you know, because that was always so discouraged growing up. I mean, I don't know if y'all remember, but like when Murphy Brown came out, it was like a single mom working. Like, (laughs) yeah, Dan Quayle hated that lady. It's like nothing worse you could have done to a kid. (laughs) Republicans have had quite the turnaround. Anyway, but the... (laughs) Now everything goes, well, if you're a dude, I guess. But it was really surprising to me how much baggage kind of came up all of a sudden once I was trying to balance, um, you know, being a new mom with traveling and speaking. And because there really is a lot of um, you, you, you get you get told a lot of messages and, and you receive a lot of messages about the 
what it means to be a mother and the importance of that. And so a lot of those insecurities about having a career and because it's one thing when you're making sacrifices and it's just, you know, you and your husband or, you know, you're out on the road a lot. It's a whole lot different when you leave a kid behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the guilt of, that comes with that, I have, I'm still kind of trying to figure out, you know, where is this coming from? Like, I thought I had kind of figured out what it meant to be a feminist Christian woman. But yeah, then, and to not feel uh, this particular uh, brand of guilt yeah, over what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. I'm not supposed to feel this way. But it turns out, like, most women do. And <laughs> that's a like that, you know, it's it's kind of part of of loving someone and 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 having a child and 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 I mean it's something that my husband has experienced too. You know, we both we're in a unique situation because we both work from home and we're both co-parenting and 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 both staying home with our kid. Which so basically we sit around and get no work done. But um, <laughs> I was like, that sounds wonderful, and we're like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> oh we just. Yeah, uh, but we're, we're figuring it out. We're getting into a schedule. But yeah, so I, I mean, I don't know if I, I can answer the question because, I mean, I, this is just something you're always figuring out is, yeah. you know, what it means to be a woman in these particular circumstances and, and uh, what it means to be a person in these particular circumstances. Um, working through all the, the expectations that the culture and that your particular culture have placed on you based on gender or, you know, and stereotypes. Yeah, and and that's something that I feel like is changing even even now in this particular climate we find ourselves in. And something I've really appreciated sincerely that that you've done uh, through your platform and through various forms of social media and communication of like what it means to be a Christian woman and then to be an ally to Christian women in the midst of Me Too stuff, which the church like so many things in even Christian pop culture where it's like, oh yeah, we heard that sound three years ago. Now it's on the Christian radio station. (laughs) It feels like the church has been a little slow to the uptake with this stuff too. And you see things like the Andy Savage scandal and other similar stuff in Mm. in those spheres. I I feel like we're, we're almost like due for another sort of redefinition or at least like a getting on the same page for all of us of like, no, this is what it means to uphold like, a person's womanhood and their dignity and their personhood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope that we're on the cusp of that. I mean, I, I have there, you know, there are just certain barriers in particularly in conservative Christian culture that, that keep people from talking about this stuff. I mean, if you attend a church where all the pastors are male and where women are forbidden from having any kind of leadership position or any kind of voice and you experience abuse or harassment in that, situation and you're supposed to go to the pastors like it's that's a problem you know and and there's just you know so there's there's still so much lingering patriarchy and patriarchal assumptions and sexist assumptions it's always a woman's fault that if a woman is harassed or assaulted she must have been dressed a certain way or she wasn't being modest or you know there's so much baggage Mm -hmm. um and and so many assumptions that uh are still pervasive in certain corners of the church. I mean, others, I think, are, are a bit more progressive. But even in those progressive spaces, there can be, um, you know, women face the, the same issues that they face in the wider world. You know, for me, it's a matter of trying to challenge that, even though, like, I'm no longer really a part of it, you know, and um, but still feeling like, you know, as long as there are women suffering, you know, under these circumstances, I do feel an obligation to speak up and say it doesn't have to be this way. Like, 
right. a lot of people suffer under the assumption that the Bible forbids women from teaching and leading. And so they, you know, are, that's why they don't allow women to have any leadership or voice in their churches. Um, and so I still feel I have kind of like one foot in <laughs> the conservative evangelical culture where that's uh, more the norm. And then one foot in, yeah, I, I'm an Episcopalian now, you know, I'm <laughs> pretty liberal, progressive Christian tradition um, where those assumptions aren't there, but where a lot of my readers find themselves now. So I kind of, you know, I don't know. It's one thing to sort of challenge from within. It's another to challenge from without. And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to trying to navigate those waters where I still have, you know, concern and a passion for women and feminism in the evangelical church. But, you know, I don't know if I count myself as an, I know I don't really count myself as an evangelical anymore. So yeah, how effective uh, you know, is that voice, you know, but as long as you you know, put it on the internet, people will find it. So I keep <laughs> stuff on the and internet. We did. And we did. Yeah. Yeah. For the best. <laughs> I feel like it, it is hard to, and it, and like, I feel like we're probably also kind of on the outside and that strips a lot of our cred on being able to talk about it or coming off as like too, uh, uh, prejudiced probably too of like well you all are still under the patriarchy and this is why this is happening um so it's it's difficult too to even um I don't know check my own experience and check where I'm at even in my life too and make sure that like if I'm criticizing these things that I'm still using compassion and I'm still remembering that I was there once and I remember how I felt and thought about it um yeah I feel like in the Trump era that has gotten so much harder for me like (laughs) I used to be like let's be gracious and think about other people's point of view and I just feel like I don't know if it's just like that I'm getting old or that like (laughs) Donald Trump is president and it's made me crazy I don't know the stakes are higher (laughs) well I just am kind of like my tolerance for bullshit is so less like so much less than it used to be it's like I'm holding into Attention, like that I still believe in the power and the liberating power and the centrality of grace mm-hmm. in the Christian life but like my tolerance for bullshit is just not there anymore <laughs> so I think like, you can have both <laughs> no bullshit like grace Piper town comes out and says you know women shouldn't teach in seminary and I'm just like oh come okay. on like, you know, this sort of well let's engage this kind of posture anymore kind of like oh my gosh <sighs> I just don't have the patience anymore. So, so I don't funny. know. Pray for me. I, I have an unspoken uh, prayer request. Yeah. <laughs> and pro- I think that's a, I feel like that's just general women feeling also just exhausted of like, yeah. really? By what? Uh, this is still I'm a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, All right. Let's start from the beginning. Yeah. So hang in there. Yeah. I think, and I do think like a lot of women are angry right now. And I, it's like, I'm angry. I, I, I spent a lot of time being angry. And so it's like, it's trying to figure out like, I mean, even the scripture says, like, don't sin in your anger. It doesn't Mm. say don't be angry. (laughs) Right. Anger can be really useful if we channel it in in smart ways. And if we partner with other, you know, groups that have are underrepresented or oppressed. And if we, you know, there's, it's it's such a strange and interesting and exhausting time to be alive because it's like, there's so much to care about. And there's, uh, there's so much to be angry about, uh, justifiably angry. Um, and yet, you know, I see some really beautiful partnerships and really beautiful things emerging out of this particular moment in our culture. Uh, I've learned a lot and been challenged a lot by it. So it's just, 
Yeah, but sometimes I just get to the end of the day and I'm just tired. I'm tired of, well, yeah. this probably has something to do with having a toddler and being pregnant. But <laughs> in addition to that, I'm just tired. Uh, you know, you get to the end of the day sometimes and, you, and you're weary from uh, the news and from, you know, what's just happening in the culture. And you're weary from being angry and, and, mm-hmm. and justifiably so. So I think if we, if women and, you know, men and LGBT people and, um, you know, if we can all channel that anger in, in some good and healthy ways, then maybe some important changes will happen. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm into that. Don't tamp it down. Be cool. Just harness yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I tell myself on Twitter, at least. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then also take a break. and. Uh, <laughs> I'm just channeling my right And, and, and self-care. <laughs> self-care. <laughs> well, Guys, I give this conversation a holy toast. <laughs> Too far? No, that was perfectly I, not abrupt. I just <laughs> is that is that an abrupt uh, uh, topic switch? No, no I, I I just felt a desire to give something a holy something in the in the course of this <laughs> podcast. Well, Rachel, before we let you go, and thanks for being so generous with your time. Yes, thank you. This is good Christian fun, and so we we thought. We might play a fun little game with you. Uh-oh. A fun Uh-oh. Little, Yikes. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's just, okay, so it's called Skype Risk, and uh, it only takes four and a half hours. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but instead of, like, We've all the different countries. we a story arc already. Yeah, it's, it's like all the, the kingdoms in the Bible, <laughs> and it takes place over the course of the Bible. No, so Someone this, has made that. That like, actually sounds fun to me, so. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one minute, then. Now, uh, this, is a, this is a segment we've done before on this show, and it's called Holy Crap. Holy crap. I, I thought because of your upbringing within the culture that you might be particularly adept at this, or maybe not. We'll see. But this is a game in which we're going to play a snippet of a song, just like a teeny tiny okay. bit. And actually, I'm the only one that knows what the songs are here. Mm-hmm. So you and Caroline will have to identify if these Proverbs 31 women are Christian artists or if they're oh. in the secular world. Ooh, is it a so Christian holy? song? Holy heathen. Holy or or crap. Holy Holy or heathen might even work better. (laughs) Holy Uh, or crap. I like that. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So we just shout it out. Yeah. You can deliberate if you need to. You can talk through your your process or you can shout it out. Yeah. Or I'll just play a snippet and then maybe just ask you if you know. Okay. Okay. Because to be honest, Caroline, Rachel might just destroy you in this. Yeah. I'm certain. (laughs) It depends on whether it's like early or late 90s. Okay. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Okay. So here we go. Show is hot out here. No, I don't mind though. Yeah. Glad to be free. You know what I'm saying? Is that holy or crap? Crap. It's crap. No, that's holy. Okay, that's crap. Oh shit! I got it right. Wait, did you answer? No, I haven't haven't answered yet. I. Mm, I want to say that's holy based on the cheapness of that uh, triangle sound at the beginning. (laughs) It's a Christian song if it's a triangle sound? If there's kind of that like tinny sound at the beginning is what I'm saying. Well, Caroline, it's holy. Yeah! This is Praise You by Mary Mary. I think I've heard that. I can lift my hands. Oh, yeah. I just want to praise (laughs) All right, that's a holy song. Next song, next song. 
that holy or crap? Oh, that wasn't much. Yeah, just the music. Mm. You guess Carolyn needs the first. Oh, you want me to guess first? Okay. I really have no reason why, but I'm going to guess that that's crap. Crap, okay. I'm just going to say holy. It kind of sounds like a like the intro to like a song that somebody starts talking over. <laughs> <laughs> like just the youth ministers like guys. They're like mini sermons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's Who taught the sun? Oh, this is Christian. This is definitely holy. This is Redeemer by Nicole C. Mullen. Redeemer by Nicole C. Mullen, which, man, I feel like in 2000, you couldn't, like, experience an offering taking without hearing, one, like, one of the more talented women in the choir singing that song as oh, their yeah. solo. Oh, uh, yeah. Nate, when he was worship pastor, they called it special music, which is basically just like, is someone true? got to sing a solo. <laughs> All right, next song. Oh, yeah, baby. Jesus died for somebody's sins. Oh, that's crap because it's good. (laughs) (laughs) True. She sounds like uh, she's got an edge. Maybe she's done a few doobies in her time. So I'm going to say also. She's done a few doobies. (laughs) Is what your rationale? Oh, boy. (laughs) Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. But not mine. That is Gloria by Patti Smith. And was I not right? Yeah, she's done a few doobies, <laughs> Caroline. <laughs> we both knew that one right away. You knew it was crap too? Yeah. And then our final entry in the in the game tonight. Here we go. Is this holy or crap? Let me sit this ass. <laughs> Is it holy or crap? <laughs> Holy it man, does, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it depends on if that was within the context of marriage that Covenant. she was singing that. Oh. <laughs> it was. Well, then, holy as heck. I mean, it was to Jay Z, I believe. <laughs> that is Rocket by Beyonce by in the self-titled album Beyonce. You know, now that well, I that's holy it. then because she's kind of her own she, yeah. religion. Oh. <laughs> Preach. She's kind of a goddess. Everything she sings is a worship song, right? So it's true. I I think that should count as holy. Idol worship. <laughs> What's that? I said it's <laughs> idol worship. I heard I D L E worship. Yeah. What a weird verbal <laughs> homonym that just that happened weird. to me. Yeah. She did do sort of a a Christian song with um with Michelle Williams and Kelly Rowland, not oh. in Destiny's Child, but oh. it was like Michelle Williams like solo thing, hmm. and then she's like, yeah, Jesus is cool, like, it, but recently it was like a couple like years a, ago, a gospel song, yeah, okay, Love yeah, it. so that was holy. So guys, I'm saying, you know what, we're sending uh, we're sending Beyonce to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> That's the conclusion. <laughs> yeah. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Oh, thanks. Yes. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed this listening. This was so, so, so good fun. To be on. I've been oh, looking so forward sweet. to this for so long, and it's a real, yeah, it's oh, a real treat. I think we would be friends if Agreed. we lived closer. Wait, we're not friends? 
Whoa. Friends. Should I, mean, I leave? <laughs> we would be real life friends Even if we didn't that. live in different time zones yeah. is what I'm saying. I, I agree. I want to say sincerely that for both myself and Caroline, I feel like, Rachel, a lot of your work and your writing and just what you've communicated and how you've communicated it has really influenced how we've done the show. Mm-hmm. And just yeah. your clarity and your compassion and artistry and everything you do is a real inspiration for us. So yeah. it's an honor and a treat to get to talk to you. Oh, my heart is so full. Thank Good. you. <laughs> where can where can people find you online? And do you have anything to plug? Um, uh, no, I mean, it's really easy to find me online because it's my Twitter is Rachel Held Evans. My website's rachelheldevans.com. My Facebook's Rachel Held Evans. I mean, when your name forms a complete sentence, you kind of go with it. Um, <laughs> it's like a short story. And, <laughs> and then I do have, I have a book coming out about the Bible in June. Uh, and so you can go to my website and pre-order that if um, you'd like more Bible nerding out in your life. Yeah, that's called Inspired, right? Yeah. Cool. Can't wait. Can't wait. I'm, yeah. I'm giving it a preemptive holy toast. <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> GCF Holy Toast. Oh, man. Thanks again, Rachel. Yeah. Really appreciate awesome. the conversation. This is really you. fun. Thank you, guys. Well, that was fun. That was fun. Oh, she's the best. Yeah, so we hope you enjoyed that. We'll see you next time on GCF. Second service, baby. Mm. Was that good? That's fine. I feel like, should there be more at the end? No, that's okay. good. I'm leaving all this in. <laughs> Here we talking Kevin down from the ledge. Is it okay? On a weekly basis. Will they look li- li- like us on a weekly basis? <laughs> Give me a break. I quit this podcast. That was a headgum podcast. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. 
So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.